we're continuing, and we're just in the second week, actually, of, of this uh, new sermon series called The Stories of Jesus, and we're looking at, at some of the parables in the Gospel of Luke. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Jesus was a master storyteller. This was a hallmark of the way that he chose to teach rather than just making statements, kind of propositional statements. He would tell a story. And, you know, if you've tried to engage those, you, you felt the power of that because a story opens up all sorts of new things. It, it triggers your imagination. It brings in all sorts of different questions, maybe that a propositional statement wouldn't. So there's, there's a purpose to the reason Jesus told these stories. And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at, uh, looking for what, what's the actionable truth? You know, because Jesus didn't come just to teach us new religious ideas. He taught very clearly that he came to seek and save the lost. That's us, right? Without Christ. For the purpose of restoring the relationship between human beings and God. And that, that, that's open to us right now, uh, whether we've tasted that or not. If we've tasted it and we've wandered away, we can come back, right? God is inviting us. God is patient with us. So today we're looking at the story of the two debtors. Uh, it, it's, just a, it's a little short, two-verse-long two story, but Jesus told it in the context of a dinner party he was attending. So we're going to read that, that larger story of the whole dinner party. So let's listen to that scripture now. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. One of them had the money to pay him back so he for, sorry, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Thanks, Julia. 
So it was probably around 30 AD. You know, we don't have uh, the exact date, but surprisingly, we have a picture from Jerusalem of that morning. It was miraculously preserved. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it, get your paper here. Claims of great profit among us. People filled with awe, get your paper here, read all about it. God come to help his people, read all about it. I mean, amazing that the picture was preserved, isn't it? Yeah, and strangely, he doesn't look very Palestinian, but, you know. Anyway, it was, it was big news. Here's the news. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. It, it was big news. And the specific event that triggered this news was that Jesus had raised a young man from the dead. As the young man, the only son of his mother, then a widow, as the young man was being carried out of the city of Nain, Jesus and his disciples were on the way in. And, and in what is just a, a small story in the middle of Luke 7, in what appears to be a happenstance passing, a major event happened. Because as the story goes, as Jesus and his disciples walked past the funeral procession going out, Jesus stopped and he simply touched the stretcher and said, young man, I say to you, get up. And he did and started talking. And says the text, the young, or Jesus gave the young man back to his mother. That that news spread like wildfire. Everybody heard about this. Common laborers, Roman rulers and officials, Pharisees, Sadducees. I mean, the whole region was buzzing with this news. So that's, that's the vibe in the air leading up to this story. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees take a couple different looks. There's Joseph of Arimathea, who seemed to approach Jesus with some curiosity, but later in the Gospels, most of the engagements with the Pharisees are more confrontational, more, more aggressive. And then some are kind of in between or a little of both, and that's kind of what this one is. Uh, you know, Simon was a, a Pharisee who invited Jesus to dinner. He had heard these claims, along with everybody else, that Jesus was a great prophet. But he didn't want to jump on the bandwagon. He wanted to check this guy out for himself. He didn't want to, you know, extend too much honor to Jesus because he really kind of thought he was probably a sham and he was going to prove it. So Simon invited Jesus to his house for a banquet, presumably with Jesus as the special guest. Uh, and we'll get to the details in a moment, but here's the invitation. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So just a couple things quick about this. When invited, Jesus went. Um, you know, I continue to believe that hospitality is the front line of mission. 
uh, I think it was that to which Karen gave testimony this morning, right? Connecting with people is how stuff happens, how relationships are formed, how the gospel is shared, everything. Uh, so Jesus had a very clear plan, quoting a, a very old commentary from the year 1900. It's a language is a bit dated. One commentator said this, it was part of Jesus' plan to accept hospitality wherever it was proffered to him in order that he might thereby reach all classes and conditions of men. Therefore, he did not decline the request of Simon, but went to his house just indeed as he came to earth itself to seek and to save that which was lost. When invited, Jesus went. Second, they reclined at the table. This, this shows that this wasn't kind of a family dinner. This wasn't having Jesus over to, to eat with the Cheryl family around our kitchen table. This was a formal affair. Reclining at a table would mean, this was common in the, in the ancient world, there'd be a little cushion, you put your left arm on that. The table would be here, you'd recline with your feet away from the table, kind of laying on your side, and you'd eat with your right hand like that. This was a very, a very common practice. And these, these banquets were public events. So we read the story and that this, you know, the social math doesn't add up. So you need to understand the context. Families in that day didn't just live as nuclear families. They lived as extended families. There would be kind of a family compound with a gate and then a courtyard and a bunch of buildings around here. Most of them were bedrooms where people slept. Some were kitchens or other storage rooms. There was always a big formal kind of dining area where you could welcome guests Indoors. So the banquet would happen in that big formal, that big formal room. And on those nights, the courtyard to the whole house would be left open so that uninvited guests could come in. That was expected. The community was not invited, but in some ways it was expected that they would participate. They wouldn't eat the dinner with the invited guests, but they would line the perimeter of the room, either sitting or standing. And in that way, they could listen in on the conversation that was happening, possibly grab some scraps at the end of the dinner when the meal was over. And all of this was considered a very courteous thing to do. They weren't crashing somebody else's party. That's the way we probably read it, right? But this was a courteous thing to do, show up at the house. It would be um, saying to the host, uh, I value your leadership, and indeed the guest you've invited is worthy of our honor, and as a community, we're, we're gathering. So that's what's going on here. Really, the bigger the crowd of uninvited guests at a shindig like this, the more, you know, the more successful it would be thought to, to be. But there was a protocol for welcoming the, the invited guests. Normally, the host placed his hand on the guest's shoulder and gave him the kiss of peace, but this was not done for Jesus. Customarily, a guest's sandals were removed from his feet and were washed when he entered or while he reclined at the table, thus removing the dust of the street and refreshing him. Jesus' feet were left embarrassingly dirty. Dinner guests were also anointed with a touch of olive oil, but there was no such kindness for Jesus. So right as Jesus arrived to this banquet in his honor, supposedly, there was tension in the air because he was denied the the. Uh, regular and expected hospitality. Seemingly, those were withheld intentionally. Simon saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to question you 
and I'll figure out whether you're worthy of honor after that. Uh, but you can, you can understand the social vibe in the room. This hospitality, huge deal in Palestinian culture. So it wasn't just Simon and Jesus who knew what was going on. Every single guest understood this. All of the uninvited guests lining the room were kind of like, whoa, there's stuff going down. I mean, that was, that was you, you could cut the air with a knife in this room. That's what's happening. See, Jesus had accepted an invitation into an ambush. That's really what's happening. Everybody knew it. Everybody could feel it. So you can, you can picture the scene. I hope now you can feel the scene. In steps the woman. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. A, a woman who had lived a sinful life. We're not 100% sure what that means, but we're 99. Uh, in the ancient world, a woman who had lived a sinful life was a euphemism for a prostitute. So it's highly likely that this woman was quite well known in that town, quite notorious, uh, possibly a professional sinner. But whatever her wrongdoing, she was notorious and the whole town knew about it. When she learned that Jesus would be at the meal, she went with a jar of perfume. This is not a TJ Maxx jar of perfume. There was no such thing as inexpensive perfume in the ancient world. This is extremely costly stuff. The really, really, really expensive stuff. So clearly, she was going out of gratitude. She had a plan to anoint Jesus' feet. So somewhere, sometime, we don't know when, she had encountered the message of Jesus previously. Maybe, maybe it was through a public sermon, public teaching that he gave. Maybe a, a friend shared the message with her. We don't know. But it is clear that the words of Jesus had already struck her heart, and she had turned her life toward him and experienced something very powerful, and very profound. Life-altering forgiveness for a soul stuck in prevailing sin. And she was changed. Made new. Not just forgiven, but purified. Imagine that for her coming out of her experience. So here she is, behind Jesus in this room, and in that moment, her overwhelming gratitude collided with the callous contempt being directed at Jesus by the host. And it, it triggered her. She lost it. Look at what it says. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Again, she was intentionally near Jesus in the room behind him. She thought to anoint him. But the contempt directed at Jesus triggered her. I mean, she, she wanted to express her gratitude in what for her, with anointing with this perfume, must have been an, an act of extravagant sacrifice. But then suddenly Jesus was being dishonored. See, if the host would not honor Jesus, she would. 
mean, she couldn't help herself. Social decorum went out the window. The word for her crying here wasn't, wasn't a whimpering. I mean, she was weeping. The, the word she wet Jesus' feet is the same word used for the way rain, a heavy rain, soaks the ground. She was undone. Didn't care what anybody thought. Tears on his feet. Then she did something unheard of. She let down her hair. Unheard. The Talmud is a collection of uh, the teachings of the rabbis of the, of the ancient world. The Talmud said that letting, a, a woman letting down her hair in the presence of any man except her husband was grounds for divorce. Because a woman's hair was thought to be her glory. And there, and there were some, some, some sexual overtones. The only time hair was let down was in the bedroom. But here she let her hair down and just mopped the muddy mess off of Jesus' feet with her glory. I mean, clearly, his glory was her priority, not her own glory. And this, this is just a sidebar, but I got to thinking as I was noodling on the message this week. What, what a stunningly beautiful thing if she actually was a prostitute. To, in, in the presence of Jesus, to let down her hair in spirit saying, Lord, from now on, you're my one. Not, not physically, I don't mean, but, you know, the, the, not, not just the forgiveness, but the purification from past sexual sin. Right? I'm certain some of us have experienced that kind of forgiveness and purification. Jesus offers that. She kissed his feet when the host had not extended even the most basic kiss of peace. The verb indicates an ongoing action. She kept kissing his feet. She wouldn't stop. It was a little embarrassing to everybody else, not to Jesus or her. This woman loved the Lord. She anointed his feet with a very costly perfume when the host had not even offered the typical anointing with inexpensive olive oil. As one commentator pointed out, her, her actions called to mind that, uh, the song of Mary. My, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Wow. This grateful woman is a model of devotion and worship for all who follow Jesus, and I believe it's no accident that her story is preserved for us in the scripture. This scene gave Simon, he thought, all he needed. Clearly, he was right to withhold hospitality from Jesus because if Jesus really was a prophet, he'd know, quote, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, I mean, we're, we're, we're grasping the utter ridiculousness of the situation, right? The creator of the universe is sitting at his table. And Simon is thinking he has outwitted him. 
How does, how does the creator of the universe respond in that moment? Of all the gazillion possibilities God could have chosen. He looks at Simon and he says, hey, hey Simon, I've, I've, I've got a little something to, to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Back then, a denarius was about a day's wages, so 50 days' wages or 500 days' wages. That's that's the amount we're talking about. Also, a a denarius was... You know, you made a denarius in a day and you spent a denarius in a day to just live. This was a subsistence kind of thing. So it didn't really make much difference whether it was 50 or 500. There's no way a common laborer is going to pay that off. But, but the brilliance of the story is in the nuance, isn't it? Of, of course, the debt refers to our debt of sin. Both people in the story had a debt. Yeah, one had a greater debt than the other. That is possible biblically, right? Not all sin is created equal. God distinguishes between a white lie and murder. These are morally different wrongs, and God sees them that way. Now, they're the same in the sense that they both cause a debt, but they're not the same with regard to their, their moral impact. The debt is created. Neither debtor can pay. Both are insolvent. They have no money to pay what is owed. This is our common estate, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. And here's the thing. We all owe a debt we can't pay, and we are either conscious of that or not. See, Simon was not conscious of that reality and that was the problem. The Pharisees bought into the gospel of sin avoidance, uh, popular in our day as well in some Christian circles, seemingly Christian circles, right? Thinking if you work hard enough to keep yourself from wrongdoing, you can achieve a right standing before God. Thus, theirs was a salvation by segregation. If I keep myself away from the bad stuff that those bad people are doing, I'll be good. And Simon assumed, if Jesus was a real prophet, he would know about this woman and distance himself from her because that's what righteous people do with sinful people. But gladly, this is not how God works. I mean, God meets us where we are. Eugene Peterson's famous uh, transliteration or, or uh, um, version of you know, John 1, Jesus moved into our neighborhood. He comes to where we are while we're still in our sin, while we're dirty, unpresentable, and on the run. God comes to us where we are. He's after you, by the way, whether you know it or not. 
He's after me. And it's a simple truth to say there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are aware of their spiritual debt and those who are not. Those whose debt has been forgiven by Jesus and those whose debt remains. Those who repent of their sin and those who remain stuck in their sin and in that sense slaves to sin. Those who approach Jesus with unhindered gratitude and those who simply refuse to submit. It's all very simple, really. Repentance literally means to change our minds, to change our thinking. And Jesus invites us to change our thinking about him wherever it has veered away from what he said about himself. To abandon the posture of the callous host and to adopt the posture of the grateful woman. And and indeed, that is the invitation Jesus is extending to Simon. That's why he went to the dinner party, to extend that invitation to Simon. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, interesting right there, hold that in mind as we read the rest, he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Imagine the power of of that moment, looking at the woman and talking to Simon. And, And Jesus says, as he's looking at the woman, do you see this woman? See, Simon's approach to people was way too simplistic, childish even. There's good and bad, insiders, outsiders, morally upright and morally bankrupt. It's either or, it's us or them. And this made him view the woman as an object, as one of them. So Jesus looked at her and asked him, do do you see this woman? Implication. Because I do. I see her. I know her. I care about her. I recognize her, I value her, I love her, and I know that God has big hopes and dreams for her. I see her. The Lord sees you. And then, and then Jesus focuses on Simon. You did not, you did not, you did not. But she did, she did. She did. You see the contrast, Simon? I mean, her her actions are telling me how she really is spiritually. Her, Her heart's overflowing with thankfulness. And that's evidence that a person has really received forgiveness in their life, real forgiveness from Jesus. They no longer try to avoid sin because they fear God. They avoid sin because they love God. Not to get something from God 
When we experience the real forgiveness God offers in Christ, we're changed. We cannot help but see God and others through the lens of how greatly we have been forgiven. I mean, simply put, receiving grace, real grace, makes you more gracious. Because you, you know you owed a huge debt you could never pay, and you've experienced the overwhelming grace of it being paid for you completely, and then having a God-sized deposit placed into your account. What? Jesus put it this way, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. See, love for God and others is the outward evidence of inward forgiveness. And and then the story takes a sudden turn. It closes with this. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What? What? Suddenly, the stakes have risen. The other guests began to say among themselves, who who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, Jesus wanted to make sure the woman understood that she really was forgiven by God's grace and through her faith, not through the, the way she had worshiped Jesus you know, ascribed worth to him through her actions. And, and the other guests reacted to Jesus' declaration of forgiveness, understanding that only God can forgive sin. So now, at this point, Simon had, he must have been completely befuddled. Just notice in the story, he only spoke one time. He thought something to himself. Jesus knew what he was thinking. And then he just said, he just responded to Jesus' question. Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven I mean, from the get-go, he had a plan, and it got completely dismantled. And suddenly, the question before him now is not whether or not Jesus is just a great prophet, but whether or not Jesus has the authority to forgive human sin. Categorically different question. And he's, he's watching all this go down, and he's, he's struggling in his mind because if you read the text uh, carefully, you know, Simon thought Jesus was not a prophet because he didn't know who the woman was. But it's very clear that Jesus did know who the woman was. He referenced her many sins. So in fact, he did know all about her. And in addition to that, Jesus knew what Simon himself was thinking. Double proof that Jesus was the great prophet. People were claiming he was. But then this whole your sins are forgiven thing. And and the question of the guests, which is indeed the question of the ages that echoes down through the centuries and resounds in this place this day. Who is this who even forgives sin? Now, you've all listened to a sermon. I hope you're awake. This is not a religious idea. This is about the real God forgiving you of everything you know that you've done wrong, everything you 
you've done wrong that you don't know of. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. We can come to Jesus like the woman did, confident, assured, with deep knowledge that we have actually been forgiven. And of course, that's just half the gospel, forgiveness of what we've done wrong. Jesus pours out his perfect righteousness into our spiritual bank account. So now we have a a deposit that can never be exhausted for the rest of our lives. We can live in confidence and peace and incredible freedom through what Jesus has done for us. Who is this who even forgives sin? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me for a moment. Father, awaken us again by your Holy Spirit. Help us to live this day, this moment, as the eternal creatures you have created us to be. Help us stand in the confidence of the cross that you have canceled our sin in Christ by your grace and help us trust you. Help us know what it is to give our whole selves over to you. Wherever we are, considering that step for the first time, coming back to it for the 10,000th time, whatever, help us. Help us to walk in faith. Father, thank you for the model of this grateful woman. We don't know her name. I'm sure we'll learn it someday. Uh, May her actions impact our reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.